Samuel chapter number 6. We're continuing our series of 2 Samuel and tonight will be no different. If you grab your Bible, the reason we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in the five solas. We'll go over them together. The first one is sola scriptura. That's a Latin phrase that means the Bible and the Bible alone. The second is sola fide. It means faith and faith alone. The third is sola Christa. It means Christ and Christ alone. The fourth being sola gracia. I always smile when I say sola gracia because it means grace and grace alone. That we're saved simply by grace and only by grace. We're not saved by our tithing record or our church attendance. We're only saved by grace. Ephesians tells us that we cannot boast that it's only by, we're saved by grace. I tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm glad that nobody's going to be there bragging on how they got there because they earn because we'll be there for an eternity standing around for people gloating and bragging on themselves. But when we get to heaven, we'll all be level ground. We're only there by grace and grace alone. Amen, somebody. And also the final, the fifth of the fifth of the solas is sole deo gloria. That's a Latin phrase that means for God's glory and his glory alone. Tonight's preaching, the, tonight's gathering in the Bible study is not for you. It's not even for, it's not even for Edwin. It's not even for me. It's for God and his glory and his glory alone. That means when we get up on Mondays and we go to work and work till Friday, it's not to make sure somebody gets a paycheck or somebody gets paid. It's for God's glory. Our private Bible study is for God's glory. Our raising our children is for God's glory. Our singleness is for God's glory. Whatever we do is for the glory and glory of God alone. Amen. So if you would, like I said, turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. As we have looked at the story of David. I really thought this week we were going to look at David as he goes against another giant. But that's later on down the road. Many people don't realize that David faced two giants in his life. One he slayed, the other one almost slayed him. But we'll look at that later. And many preachers will stand in pulpits and say, you are a David. You are someone who's going to go against your giants and slay them. But they never mentioned the other giant, Bathsheba. Ooh, no amens, but a lot of old mans. They don't mention Bathsheba and lust and how he fell. But we're not looking at that tonight. We're looking at how the obedience of David also makes him mad at God and mad at himself. Have you ever been there? Nobody likes to talk about that, that you get mad. Sometimes you even get mad at God. And sometimes you're mad at yourself. Sometimes the troubles that you face is self-inflicted. It's your fault. But we'll look at the story tonight of David as he now has started to reign over the, the nation of Israel. God has established him on every side. He's gave him peace and he has subdued his enemies. Now David is finally established. You remember as we studied the story of David how he was at war within the nation of Israel against Saul. And Saul has now died and his, his son who was the heir to the throne has now died. And now they have anointed David the king of Israel. Now all is at peace but there's one piece of the puzzle that must be placed. He must unify the nation who has been torn apart by civil war with the worship of God. So now he sets in his heart to move the Ark of the Covenant to the capital where David is seated. If you remember the last time we were together, it seems like a long time ago because of snow or COVID or something. It's always something. But the good thing is even through blizzards and famines and, and pandemics, God still reigns. You should have been studying either way. If you only ate once a week, I'll guarantee you your mortal body would waste away. But your spiritual body needs nourishment as well. If I pour down my spiritual goggles and look 
looked at you. Are you malnourished? Are you weak and feeble? Is your kneecaps bigger than your thighs because you have not studied and feasted on God's Word? I know you haven't and I hope you haven't. But tonight, let us set the table and break the bread and let our faith grow as we study the story of David. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, David's not the hero of the story whatsoever. David is not even the subject of the story. He's a supporting cast member. I know the book is called 2 Samuel, so Samuel must be in here somewhere, but it ain't even about Samuel. If there was a testament or a Bible book with your name, it really wouldn't even be about you. Remember, sola deo glory, a Latin phrase that means for God's glory alone. That means the book of Wayne is not about Wayne, it's about God. The book of Hubert is not about Hubert. It's about God and His glory. The book of Miss Virginia is not about Miss Virginia. It's about God and His glory. So as we look in 2 Samuel together, chapter number 6, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. As we go ahead and unpack verse 1 and 2, I want to let you notice a couple of things here. 30,000 men, you don't need that many. But David says, we're going to go worship. Leaders who lead, either you're leading people to Jesus or you're leading people to God or you're leading people to destruction. I'm just going to let you go ahead. That, that's the only two options. You're leading people to glory and victory or you're leading them to defeat. And there's people following you whether you know it or not. Oh, daddies. Your children will, will follow your example long before they follow your advice. David rises up with 30,000 chosen men of Israel. These are the elite. They go up to move the ark of the Lord. But you want to see something interesting here. It's the ark of God, which is called the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Even though David had 30,000 men, the Ark of the Covenant is the Lord's and it's called the Jehovah Shalom. That means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. That means God outnumbers David any day. That means he is the commander of all of creation. That all the angels are at his beck and call. And he goes and has a mission to bring up the Ark of the Lord, of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. If you were here the last time we were together on a Sunday night, we looked at, we looked at Revelation chapter number 5, or chapter number 4. As we looked at cha chapter number 4 of the book of Revelation, as the curtain is pulled back, we got to glance briefly with our mortal eyes into the celestial realm where, where God is seated between the two cherubims. We got to see Him thundering and lightnings. We saw also the still crystal glass of water beside the throne. That means He rumbles and He thunders, but He's also a God of peace. As the 24 elders are at His feet, He also gives them peace, but He also commands the universe with just a word that roll off his tongue. This is our God. He is the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. That means he's on the throne. I, I want to let you know that God's in here tonight knocking, knocking crowns off people's heads. You ain't in charge. Uh, you don't run this piece. I got this. I, I'm in charge. I, I, I'm the one who tilts the earth at a 45 degree angle and spin it on his axis. I, I'm God. I, I place the stars. I'm the one who names the constellations. I am God and you are not. And some people just don't like that. But you can read it over and over until you agree with it. Because it ain't going to change. 
God is God and you are not. One thing I do know is our arms are too short to box with God. God reigns. And once you understand that God is in control and you are not, you'll finally have to come to terms that you aren't in control. And how do you control that? I don't know how you wrap your head around that, but you need to understand that God is in control. And that'll make your pillow a lot softer at night, Amen. knowing that God is in control. Somebody just needs to hear this next part. If you don't pick up nothing else and don't smell what I'm cooking, at least get this. Everything's going to be all right. Amen. God is in control. Uh, I can't help it. i got to stop there for a minute. Hubert. I can't. I, it's, just, it's just too good. God is in control, Will. Al, God is in control. I don't have to manipulate nothing. I don't have to work this angle. I don't have to, I don't have to work my, uh, my giftings or s throw some money at this situation. If you have access to the throne room in heaven, why do you stay down in the, in the outhouse and cry out to the prisoners who are chained there when you have access to the throne room? Why? Why complain with the other prisoners when you, the doors are open and you can go in and cry out to him and say, God, this is my situation. I beseech you. I cry out to you. Lord, move on my behalf. Help me. Now, let's keep going. In verse 3, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Oh, that's good. I like that. That's good. I'm glad that David's doing that. He needs to. He needs to go get dark. He needs to get a new car. Don't give me one with 100,000 miles on it. It's got a weird knocking engine. He needs a good car. Brand new. But that's the problem. God never wants his presence moved by boards and big wheels. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. That the presence of God is not because you got people in charge in a church who, who are deacons and elders and they make all the decisions. That's, that ain't got nothing to do with it. God moves like the wind. You can't say it's coming or going. You just know that it's blowing. But David didn't do his research because they're moving the cart. They're moving the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. See, that's not what God prescribed. I know you've studied God's Word and you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, it's okay. Because it says in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, if you take a note, scribble that down. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary with all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the count set out, after that the sons of Korath shall come to carry these things, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Korath are to carry. And it lists the things they are to carry. And in, in that list, they say they're supposed to cover the Ark of the Covenant and also use poles and lay the poles on their shoulders. Preacher, what you talking about? We're not to be casual with the things of God. We're not to be flippant about the things of God. When we step over the threshold of church, we're in God's house. But let me assure you, when you step over the threshold of where you lay your head, God is there too and He reigns. He sees what you scroll on your phone. He hears the conversations you have and also the thoughts you have. So you can be holy here and not holy at home. That don't fly. Because you are to carry the presence of God on your shoulders. That's what the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be carried by the priest. It's not to be placed on a, a cart pulled by an ox. The 
That means we don't outsource our holiness. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, whenever we have something wrong with our car, we take it to the mechanic. Whenever we want someone to cut our grass, we call somebody to do the landscaping. Whenever we, whenever we have something going on with the plumbing in our home, we call the plumber. When our cable goes out and our Wi-Fi ain't working, we call AT&T. They might show up. I don't know. But we outsource our troubles. But we don't outsource our holiness. We don't pay the preacher to be holy for us. We don't pay the preacher to have a relationship to God for, to God for us. He's the middle man. No, you're the only man. You're the woman. That's the one that God speaks to. We don't place our responsibilities on a cart. We bear them on our shoulders. But David didn't research this. His intentions were good. He wanted to move the cart from that location to the capital to be close to him. His intentions were good. But God, whenever he tells us to do something, he usually tells us how to do it. Amen. What you mean how to do it? How? Is the, is the Bible like a big old eight ball? I can shake and say, does she love me? And look at the Bible. No, let me, let me explain. If you're looking for a good woman, why are you looking in a bar? Why are you looking under neon lights? Why? Why? She probably ain't there. That's right. She should be chasing after Christ because that's where you're going. Amen. You looking for a good job? Be faithful to God. Put Him first. He'll handle the rest. The Bible says He's never seen the righteous forsaken and begging for bread. You're looking for a way to raise your children and how to be a godly father. The psalm says, order my steps, Lord, and tell me which way to go. I don't know what to do, but cry out to him for wisdom. He'll show you the way you ought to go. Far too long we've been calling our own fouls and strikes and we've been doing it our way. But God has called us to serve him and him only. I don't think, who cares what you think? <laughs> Second Opinions chapter 3 is not in the Bible. So saith the Lord. This ain't what I make. I'm not making this up. This is not my opinion. This is not a TED talk or a seminar. These are the words of God and we receive them as such. David places the ark on a new cart and brought it out of the house that had been a dad, which is on the hill in the Uzzah and the Oah. The sons of Benadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. They positioned everyone around the cart for the safety of the cart. Make sure the cart doesn't stumble or make sure that the ark doesn't slide off. So they got everybody around it. Don't get me wrong, nobody touched the cart. They probably placed it on the cart correctly. No one touched the ark. But as they go along, a party breaks out. David is excited. David begins to worship. In verse 5, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castnets and cymbals. There's nothing wrong with worship. There is nothing wrong. In fact, God loves worship, but He tells us how to worship. We don't go in with secular songs that exemplify and modify and lift up another God. Uh, far too long people have been cramming their ears with worship songs. When I say worship songs, I mean songs that are country twang songs that, that, that glorify women or rock and roll songs that glorify death, hell and the grave. Every song is a worship song. Let's just put that plainly so you understand. No matter if it's hip hop, rock, rap, pop, it's all a worship song. 
It's singing about sex. It's singing about money. It's singing about life and the hardships that come away. Broken hearts. They're all worship songs. Singing to something or someone. I don't think he was playing something from Leonard Skinner here. I'm sure that he was singing something here to exalt the name of the Lord. So let, let, that, let that fall where it needs to fall. Whoever's cramming worship music into your ears that does not glorify God but glorifies another God and you wonder why your spiritual life is stunted and your faith is weak, well, quit glorifying your own gods. Right. Ain't need many amens tonight, but that's all right. It's still true. But when we get to verse 6, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand on the cart of God to took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. What? What you mean? God killed this dude? Why? Why did God kill Uzzah? That's, ten, that's, that's usually how we look at things. We look at the... We look at the dark side. We never look at the justice of God. We always say, God, why'd you do that? We're surprised when God shows up and exhibits and, and puts on display His holiness. We're surprised every time. We always ask questions. Why don't God just kill all the evil people? Well, He did that one time and people still mad. Y'all remember? Whenever Noah built the ark, the oceans went above the mountaintop and God's grace helped the ark where it is. No, it wasn't designed. To, it, caught, it probably sprang leaks inside. But the only reason it floated is because of God's grace and mercy. Judgment on everyone. And people still to this day are talking about it. Amen. So don't we say, don't say, God, why don't you wipe out all the evil? Because if he does, we wouldn't be here. Who's a reached out and he grabbed the ark. It doesn't say that it was sliding. He probably was trying to steady the ark. He's trying to steady God. Did you hear what I said? God don't need no help. A lot of times people say, I got to help God along. He's moving too slow. I got I to gotta help him out some. I'm a free agent. He did good to get me. It's about time. Yeah, I'm going to help God. I'll be his PR agent. I'll be the guy who, who sells him. Whatever. He don't need your help. He can raise the dead by just speaking. He's God. He didn't need Uzzah to steady the ark. But he does. His intentions were good. But then again, let's be honest, Uzzah probably knew better because for 70 years that ark had been in his house. For 70 years, Abinadab and his family had watched over the ark. They knew what they should and should not have done, yet they ignored the ordinances and the commandments of God. What if God was that severe today and God struck down sinners as they stepped into his house? Tell you what, there won't be nobody preaching tonight. <laughs> won't be nobody listening to. <laughs> it's only by grace. And we get surprised when there's not grace. It's almost like we expect grace. Let's be honest. We get surprised when there's not grace. No, whenever you expect grace, it's not grace anymore. What you expect, what you should expect is justice. You should expect that God strikes you down for your iniquities. And when He don't, that's grace. Not just grace, but amazing grace. 
It's only by grace that you're here tonight. <laughs> Let's be honest. Amen. It's only by grace that you're here tonight. I tell you, I ain't got time to look down my nose at anybody else. I can't look over and say, look at them, bro. Woo, look, at, they got troubles. Look at them, they're struggling. I don't have time for that because I'm so busy looking at my own sins. I don't even see yours. You should be the biggest sinner you know. I'm speaking to church people here tonight. You should be the biggest sinner you know. Are you comparing yourself to the people beside you? Or are you looking at the plumb line? Or are you looking at the standard? Looking at the holiness of God and saying, I can never reach that, that pinnacle of greatness and goodness. So it's only by grace that I'm even here. Uzzah did not see grace. He did not receive mercy from God at this point. Instead of us putting God on the trial and saying, you shouldn't have done that. He had every right to. He's God. He created everything. You know, God, he, He's over all of creation and He says, mine, mine, mine. There's not one maverick molecule in all of creation that does not bow before His sovereignty. He reigns over everything. Everything that you can create with your hands is yours. You can have it. But He created everything. So He runs it however He wishes. If you don't know, I'm quoting Romans. Who are you, old man, to stand before God? And question Him. It's only by grace tonight that you're here drawing breath. A lot of people don't like this. I get it. I understand. In fact, you're either getting mad or you're humbled or you are either mad at me or mad at your sin. You, you can't be neutral about it. Uzzah is struck dead by the holiness of God. The fact is, God rather let the ark fall into the dirt than let a man touch it. Why? Why would God want to do that? It'd get dirty, might have got muddy. The ox could have been walking, walking, there could have been feces on the ground. God rather it fall into the dirt than a filthy, fallen man touch it. But who's a, who's a, who's a, he's a high priest. He's, a, he's one of the Levites who took care of the ark. Doesn't God owe him? Yeah, God owed him justice and he got it. If you haven't received justice tonight for all the stuff you've done, it's a good day. Like Ice Cube said, I didn't even have to use my AK. Any day you didn't wake up and lift your eyes up from the pit of hell is a good day. It's only by grace that He has given you another day. He might give you one tomorrow. I don't know. That's for Him to decide. He's God. He just decided to ooze You knew better. Now David's upset. David's mad. Who David mad at though? Can he be mad at God? Yes, yeah, possible. I've been mad at God before and I'm the preacher. God, why did you let this happen? Until I learned that God didn't let it happen to me. It happened for me because of Romans 8.28. All things work towards good for those who love Christ. All things, cancer, sickness, loss, Broken relationships, betrayal, all things work towards good. All they don't, it ain't good what happened to me, but it worked for my good. Amen. Mm. Now let's continue. Uzzah reached out and God struck him because of his error. He died beside the ark of the Lord. And verse 8, and David was angry because the Lord had struck out against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Perez means to strike out Uzzah. It claimed a name because of the traumatic event that took place here. 
David is angry. It doesn't say who he's angry at. He might have been angry at himself. Well, why did I let this happen? Why did I let this... Why did I let... It? He's probably carrying around guilt and bitterness at himself because David is the shepherd of the nation. He should have known better. He shouldn't have let this be a blind spot. He should have researched. He should have not considered the holiness of God something to be, to be played around with. So David is mad. Have you ever been mad at God? Have you ever been mad at His creation? Have you ever been mad at your, uh, your spouse? Have you been mad? Just mad. You don't even know why you're just mad. Well, you can relate to everybody else. David wrote many psalms, pouring out his heart before God. Maybe at this point he's immature in his faith. But we can see from Psalm 16, if you ever get a chance to read it, he cries out to God and we see how his faith matures and how he grows. The thing is, we grow in our faith. We don't just pop out of our mamas and daddies with a full set of hair and a beard on our face saying, let's go to work. We grow. The same is true as being children of God. We grow and he grows with us. Maybe you're not as far as long as you want to be or you thought you should be. But that's where grace comes along. Notice how grace keeps coming up. Even in this chapter, grace comes up. It's not only that Uzzah should have been struck dead, but David and the 30,000 men that were around him should have been struck dead. But God showed mercy and grace and withheld his wrath. He does it every day. I want you to think for a moment just if you had a piggy bank and you dropped one penny in for every sin that you can remember. How long before, how many seconds will go by before that piggy bank explodes? Yet God tarries. God shows grace. My grace outweighs my sins. Straight up. And David was afraid of the Lord in verse 9. That day, he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? In verse 10, so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed, the Jittite. And the ark of God remained in the house of Obed, the Jittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed, and all his household. Obed, Edom was just a Levite. Probably after Uzzah died, they found, they found the closest Levite they could near the city of Jerusalem. Let's get this thing. We just got to get it away from us. That's the thing about the holiness of God. Nobody wants to be around the holiness of God. You really want to know why they crucified Jesus? He can't be because He called the blind to see. It can't be because the deaf could hear. It could not be because he fed the 5,000 with just a few fish and a couple of loaves. It can't be because he walked on water and spoke to all of creation and it bowed at his command. That's not the reason they crucified Jesus. They crucified Jesus because he was holy. Amen. Just like we, we as thieves and murderers, Wicked men cannot find a police officer. We don't want to find them. That's why atheists deny there is a God. I don't want to find God and I hate Him. I don't believe in God and I hate Him. They crucified Christ because He was holy. And we are not. Do y'all see the trouble here? God is exceedingly above all of the creation. There's nothing else like Him. In Isaiah chapter number 6, if you're taking notes, write that down. Isaiah chapter number 6, the king Uriah died. They had a huge funeral. And Isaiah is there at the funeral 
laying in the casket in front of the whole church, in front of all the state and all the dignitaries and the royalty, was all the hope of Israel. With tears in his eyes, he saw the king dead. But then the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes and saw the Lord in all his glory. The train of his robe filled the temple. That means in biblical time, when a person who was a king was on the throne, the length of his robe would show how powerful he was. If he had a long train, that means he was a powerful king. And Isaiah chapter 6 tells us that his robe filled the temple. The folds of the robe were all in the temple. It filled the temple. That his glory and his power was unmatched. So Isaiah, through the tears of seeing a king that he served and loved, Dan lifted up his eyes and saw the one true king, high lifted up above all creation. And his glory filled the temple. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 6 that the angels, the cherubim that we just read about, they yelled back and forth to each other. There's two or three or four. They yelled back and forth. They would say, He's holy. And this one would say, He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. And that's all they said all day because He's holy, holy, holy. And in the Hebrew, that's Kadash, Kadash, Kadash. There's no one else like Him. No one can compare to Him. No one can come into His presence because His glory will consume them. He's holy. And now you see the trouble. He's holy. And we are not. We are so fallen that we could never reach Him. If He don't come to us, there's no chance of us ever reconciling. God is holy. Yes. And we are not. So this is why David's mad. I should have knew better. I should have knew this young man died because of my error. Taking for granted the holiness of God. Whatever I... Go into His presence. I should bear His presence on my shoulders and not put it off on somebody else. I should read the Bible for myself and not wait to have Bible study with someone or someone to spoon feed me the Bible. I needed to devour it myself and learn about this holy God who has reconciled Himself to me. I'm preaching better than y'all acting. David didn't even want to be in the presence of God at this point. Much like many of y'all here tonight, you don't want to be here. I wish I was in my bed. I wish I was in my recliner. I wish I was anywhere else other than here because I don't want to hear about the holiness of God because I know I'm not holy. Holy is utter perfection. Not one moral failure ever. Righteousness and goodness on display. This is God. So when we compare ourselves not to our neighbors but to God... We're like a flashlight with dead batteries compared to the sun. There is no comparison. So what does David do? Well, first of all, verse number 11. Obed-Edom is there. He's got, how, he's got the ark. And God blesses Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom doesn't touch the ark. What he does is dust around it. He serves the Lord. Burning incenses before God like it says in Numbers chapter 14. But this story is also a cross-reference in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. If you're taking notes, it tells the same story, but from a different point of view. At this point in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, David begins to look in the books. He looks at the books of Moses. How did they, how did they transport the ark in the wilderness? How, what did they do? He goes finds the writings of Samuel and the prophets. Because, Daniel, because David grew up under the tutelage 
of Saul. And Saul began really good. Y'all remember Saul. King Saul was one who was out there. He was going to see, he started out so well. He established Nod. And he established the high priests and the writings there. So David would go to Nod and he would sit there and listen to the priests. He was a man after God's own heart is what the Bible says. But this just slipped through his fingers. It happens. We make mistakes. But God is a God of grace. He wanted grace right there at that point. Sometimes He does something to catch your attention. A lot of people are still mad at God from 9-11. If you were alive then, you remember, where's God at when the towers fell? He was on the throne. 9-12, the next Sunday after 9-11, I think it was 9-13, was the most any church had ever seen. The doors of the church were busting open because people were turning to God. But the next year around, attendance was down again because people forgot God. Quick. Just here recently, we've had a pandemic. We can't believe a million people have died from COVID. It's just that we're keeping count. People die every day. People die. And now we shut the doors for our safety. No, we should flood the church house because we learn of our mortality. We learn that we could die at any moment. Catch a little invisible bug and take us out. We're afraid of the plague and not of God is what is true. We're like Pharaoh in the Bible. Pharaoh was afraid of the plagues but not afraid of God. We deserve everything we get. David goes and researches the books. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2, Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before Him forever. So David figures out how you are to transport this ark. Now, before you even ask, I'm going to tell you there is no ark today. Y'all see Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, right? And, and all lost target. Yeah, that's a movie. But it's good. It's a good visual to help us understand. We don't need an ark today. If you read the book of Hebrews, we got Jesus and that's all we need. We don't need a bowl of manna. We don't need the Ten Commandments that are carved on stone. He writes His laws on our hearts. We trust Jesus. We don't need tarot cards and we don't need, we don't need horoscopes anymore. We don't need any of those things. We have our Bibles and we have Christ and that's all we need. We don't need dreams and visions. We don't need parking lot prophets. People who come up to you in the park like, hey, hey, God wanted me to tell you this. If God wanted me to know, He would have told me, okay? I don't need no middleman. God ain't got no mailman to tell you something personally from a vision of dream. If you want to hear from God, read the Bible out loud. Let me go and tell you that. Amen, preacher. Amen. All right. I know. Hey, you're doing good. I know I am. Let's keep going. So Obed-Edom has the Ark of the Covenant for three months and God blesses his household. What if God's presence was in your house? Oh, you can guarantee he'd bless you. He would not cease from blessing you. He will go all out to bless you in spite of you. But you ain't invited him into your household. You ain't invited him. You ain't worshiping Him. You ain't serving Him. Why would He bless you? The fact that you open your eyes today is blessing enough. It's just an upper opportunity that He shows grace towards people like me and you today. And it was told of King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of the Lord. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Even though that bad thing happened, he still rejoiced. 
Let that resonate with somebody. I ain't saying life is full of burritos and hundred dollar bills and Skittles and rainbows. That ain't, that ain't life. If a preacher stands in the pulpit and says, come to Jesus and every day's a Friday, you're going to have a good day, payday all day. They're lying to you. In fact, you come to Jesus, life will probably get harder. But Jesus tells his disciples, he says, in this life you'll have tribulation, but don't worry, I've overcome it all. Don't worry. You ain't supposed to be comfortable here. You're only passing through. So what does David do? He goes up with rejoicing in spite of the bad situation. In verse 13, And those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, and he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. Some theologians say in verse number 13 that the ark of the covenant people who bore the ark on their shoulders, they stepped six steps and they would kill an animal. Then they stepped six more. They kill an animal. And as they walked all the way to Jerusalem, there was a trail of blood. Don't y'all think that's a little overkill? I mean, y'all just killing animals for nothing. I bet Peter will be upset. You know how many people will be out picketing saying, don't kill animals, it's horrible. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. As they took each step, blood was shed. Because they're guilty before God. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die. Romans 6.23 That means somebody has to die for your sins. You. Let's make it personal. Let's bring it on home here. I know we're talking about David and the Ark of the Covenant, but I want you to see a trail of blood here as David and his men carry the Ark up to the place where they'll set it. The holiness of God. Why six steps? Well, that's the number of man. Everybody knows that, right? Man was created on the sixth day. That's what the Bible says. Man has six parts to his body. Torso, head, arms, and legs. Six. You have six pints of blood in your body. When you die, they bury you six foot deep. Why? That's the number of man. Whoa. Yeah, I know. <laughs> At that sixth step, the blood was shed. Another instance will take place a couple hundred years later. There will be a lamb who's bleeding from Pilate's porch where they judged him. And as he goes from there, he bleeds everywhere. The crowd spreads as he carries the cross and blood drips from his mangled body because they beat him beyond recognition. And as he bleeds and walks, there's a trail of blood. And that trail of blood leads up to Calvary. And they lay him on the cross and they crucify him there. And he dies, leaving behind the trail of blood. And what do you find in the trail of blood? You'll find people like you and me. That blood covers us in our sins. That's where grace comes in. It should have been my blood that spilled. It should have been me that God snuffs out. It should have been me. But Jesus trades places with people like me. I want you to smell the blood, the iron in the air. I want you to see our Lord hanging, suspended between heaven and earth as He takes the place of sinners like you and me. We always say it here at Riverside, Jesus died for sinners because that's all there is. You might say, I'm a big sinner. Yeah, I know. I am too. Probably a bigger sinner than you. But the bigger the sinner, 
the bigger the Savior. Jesus died for wicked, wretched people like you and me. Follow the trail of blood. Thank you. The presence of God. The blood was spilled to wash away our sins. Now I want you to notice... They don't lift up the carpet and sweep your sin under the carpet. That's not what works. That's just covering your sins. The blood washes away your sin. As if you not sinned. As if you're innocent. As if you're clean. I know that's hard to wrap your head around. But it's too good not to be true. You can be forgiven today. Washed clean. You can forgive those people who did you wrong. And you can forgive yourself. Because He's forgiven you. Let that hang there for a minute. Let us marinate in that. It was Jesus who bore my sin. Buddha says, Buddha says, meditate till you reach nirvana. Hinduism with the 550 million Hindu gods... Say, live a good life so you'll be reincarnated as a better person or a rich person. That's why when you go to India, you see street children with cigarette burns on the back of their neck. Street children who come up and they have no home and they're orphans. They consider them as somebody who was a bad person in another life. So they'll put their cigarettes out on the back of their necks. That's what religion does. It hurts people. It wounds people. It kills people. We're not talking about religion here. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about grace. Who took your place for your sins in your stead. Follow the trail of blood. Jesus died for people like me. Amen, somebody. Amen. So as we continue the trail of blood, David goes every stick, stick, six steps and kills an animal. A highway of blood basically is what we see here. And David danced. I wonder why he dances and I wonder why he leaps. Because he knows about God's mercy and His grace. I know there's some churches, you ain't allowed to do that. You dance in here, we're going to throw you out. That ain't what it's talking about. You worship how you worship. If you want to sway, sway. If you lift your hands, lift your hands. You worship how you worship. That's, a, that's your business. Because you don't know what He's done for me. You don't know what he you don't know what he found. You don't know what gutter he pulled me out of. You don't know how he's working in my mind. You don't have any clue. So you stay in your lane and I'm gonna do donuts in mine. He saved me and redeemed me. And I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna worship him. I've seen some football games with some fans that are crazy. I've seen concerts with people body surfs. I'm not saying that that's the place for church because God has regulatory principles that he has in church that we are to have order, read Corinthians. But the expression of worship. Your worship could be swinging a hammer into a shingle on the roof. Your worship could be doing a good quality job on your job. Your worship could be singing in the choir. Wherever your worship is, do it with all your heart, mind, and soul for His glory. David here dances before the Lord with all his might. And in verse 16, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David... Micah, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. What? Y'all know who Micah is? That's his first wife. That's his first love. She was the daughter of Saul. But let's look at her background. 
She was coming from the first king of Israel, which is Saul. So she was dignified. She was very well educated in etiquette. She had the creases in her frock. She made sure that she had all the dignity of the household because it was important to keep up appearances. And when she sees her husband, the one she really, she loved David. Let's be honest. She loved David. But she didn't love God. She didn't. Because if she loved God, she would be worshiping too. She would have went with him to get the ark. And she despised what she saw in David. She despised the Lord. She despised his worship. Somebody ain't going to like the way you worship. They just ain't going to like that. I don't like that they cry all the time. I don't like how they sing too loud. And it's even off key. Do they, can they hear themselves? I don't like how every time the door of the church is open, they're at church. I don't like how they're always talking about Bible verses and how they serve the one true God. I don't like that. Your worship's going to cause some demons to be stirred up in somebody. That's the truth, man. Not everybody's going to like you. You've got to get over that. Some of y'all's come to terms with that. That's okay. I have too. Not everybody's going to like me, but somebody will. As long as he does, that's all that matters. She despised David. She despised his worship. She despised that he was out humiliating himself. He should have kept up appearances. There's a lot of people who don't like when somebody crawls to this altar and weeps. Look at them. Look how they're, they're, they're prostrate. What that means is your butt is up in the air and your face is on the altar. Look at them just letting it all hang out. They ain't got no sense putting their business all out for everybody to see. I bet God's in heaven saying, look how they humbled themselves before me. She would not do that. She would not humble herself before God. This is the story really of two kings. There's King David who humbles himself before God and dances with all his might and rejoices. And the king in heaven who's sucking it up, saying, that's right, I am God and I reign. I'm over everything. And then there's Micah who's over there saying, I'm not going to do that. I will not bend the knee. I will not disgrace myself. Where do you find yourself worshiping God with all your might, with all your power? Are you serving Him and worshiping Him in any way, in any fashion you could? Or are you standing, peering out the window, despising those who are worshiping the one true God? Well, if you're like Micah, it's because God ain't done nothing for you. Or you think that. What's He done lately, though? I mean, come on. What's He done lately? You're serving a different God. You're serving the God of appearance and vanity. Making sure everybody knows that you're important. You're a leader. You're an outstanding member of the community. That's right. The woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them up with her hair went down in history as someone we should emulate. Let us drench His feet in our tears because we are unworthy. Let us worship Him with a, a risky worship. The reason people don't worship Him is because He ain't worth it. We always decide, we decide, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth the money? Is it worth the time? We do that with everything. We do that with relationships. We do it with jobs. We do it with people. We do it with possessions. Is Jesus worth it? Is He? Some of y'all, He's not. He's, he's, no, I ain't got time for this. I got, I, no. I got me. I got me to look after. I got to do me. I ain't got time to serve him. I got to serve me. I got my own crowns. 
hope tonight Jesus walks in and knocks your crown off your head. You're pathetic, nothing, dust, king. You are nothing compared to him. Micah wouldn't bend the knee. She wouldn't dance before God. And she confronts David about it. In verse 17, And they brought the ark in the Lord and set in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Notice it says that David did it. It didn't come out of the treasury of the state. It cost David to serve God. Out of his pocket. It cost him his time. It cost him his energy. Is Jesus worth it? Is He worth it to be here in midweek service on a Wednesday night having a guy all sweaty and yelling in your face? Is He worth it? Is He worth it to go home and you know you're tired but you just crack open a Bible verse and put it on your mind before you close your eyes? Is He worth it waking up a little earlier tomorrow morning just to open the Word and, and feast on His promises? Is He worth it? Is He worth it to abstain from lusting? Is He worth it? Is He worth it to pursue holiness and righteousness and putting your own fleshly desires to the side and living for Him and not what you want, but what He prescribed for you to do? Is He worth it? If He's not, I understand. I get it. Because this is as close as to heaven you'll ever get. And when David had finished offerings and burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And distributed all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and portion of meat, and cake of resins to each one. And then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. Notice David ministered, but he went home to minister to his household. You might be a member of a church. You might attend Riverside. You might be on the board, or you're just a church attender. But make sure you go home to bless your household as well. But Micah, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Micah, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all the house to appoint me as prince over Israel. The people of the Lord will celebrate before the Lord. He put her in his place. You got to remember, she's a princess. Her daddy was King Saul, so she has a, an appearance to put. She has to keep up appearances. Have you ever done that, trying to keep up appearances? It can be exhausting. Go ahead and your hair down and let everybody know that you're as perfect as they think. That's right. Show everybody your scars and testify that God was with you. If he had not been on your side, where would you be? But David says, God chose me over your daddy. And I'm on the throne. <laughs> let, that, let that resonate. That God has kept you till this moment. He has favored you over other people. He has. How many of you got friends that's in the ground right now who OD'd? How many of you got somebody who, who, who just pulled the trigger? How many of you have friends and loved ones that are rolling and on the highway to hell but you're sitting in church tonight hearing the good news of the gospel and God's giving you peace. He's healing you slowly but surely. He has not given up on you. He has tossed other people to the side to get to you. In verse 22 though, <laughs> verse 22 though, and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes I'm going to do even more that's what he says you think that was you wait I will worship even more 
All of creation worships the Lord. Why shouldn't I? But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. He says, I didn't do it for them, I did it for the Lord. But they're going to respect me because I, I humbled myself before God. And their humble estate as servants to me, I've humbled myself before God. Heads of households. Far too long we have reigned over our domain and lived with an iron fist over our children and our families. And they have to live to our beck and call and do what we command. You do well to take your crown and throw them at the feet of Jesus and say, I live for you and serve you. Amen. You want to lead? Be a servant. That's right. You want to lead? Serve God. Amen. Why? Just for a moment. I want you to imagine in glory the Lord of hosts who's seated between the cherubim. God in all His might and power comes down out of the ivory towers of heaven, steps foot on the earth in the image of a down-to-earth deity. Jesus Christ, He humbled Himself to be like us in flesh and bone. And you know what He did? He didn't show up at Rome. He didn't show up in Washington. He didn't go to Moscow. He didn't go to Dubai. He didn't go to where all the rich people gather. He walked in the dust with the lowly, the tax collector, the harlot, the prostitutes, the Johns. He hung out with people who were outcasts, the lepers, and he walked among them. Yes. And get this. There was one time where he took off his robe and washed the feet of people who would betray him. Mm. He washed the feet of Judas. Right. Judas was there. He washed the feet of Peter who would deny him. He washed the feet of Thomas who even doubted him. If he could do that, then you can sweep the sidewalk. That's right. If he could do that, he could, you could go do that job that you don't really like. If he could do that, he could put up with that person that just irks you and you want to lay hands on them in an unbiblical way. You, you could put up with them. If he could do that, then you can, you can deal with that church folk who look at you sideways. If he could do that, if my Lord could humble himself, I can too. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And that's my protocol. That's what I'm called to do. So here's my crowns. Here you go, Jesus. I don't need them. I serve you. You're the only one with a crown here. You're the only one who's the Lord of hosts. You're the only one who reigns. Micah wouldn't do that. Micah wouldn't submit and Micah would not worship in such a way. She wanted to hold on to that royalty, that bloodline. And what does God do? We see in the last verse. And Micah, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. God closed her womb. In biblical time, that was considered a, a curse. Because even today, we know that God opens wombs and tombs. He's God. He closed her womb. There was no blessing for her. I'm sure David was affectionate towards her. I'm sure he loved her. That's one of his wives. In fact, history shows us that David might have loved people too much. That's why we had the issue with Absalom that will come up later. He didn't correct him because he loved him too much. Yeah, that was his fault. It's not that David was cold towards her and did not fulfill his marriage vow. It's that God closed her womb because if she would have had a child, the bloodline of Saul would have continued and he could have been heir to the throne. But God had a plan not for the eldest of all of David's children to reign, but for Solomon to come along and be placed on the throne because his name means my beloved Jedediah. 
Just remember God's in control. And put respect on His name. Remember who reigns, not you. Worship Him as if there was no tomorrow. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who's sovereign. God reigns. He reigns over everything. Worship Him like He's worth it. Let us bow our heads. Father, thank You tonight as we have gathered here with our church and Your people to exalt and extol the name of the Lord. We have magnified the name of the Lord through preaching and, and teaching tonight. 